0: Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com.
1: Designed for work.
2: Listen to Season 2 of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we're talking A Very Minimalist Christmas with Meg Nordman.
1: Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Meg Nordman, who is the author of Have Yourself a Minimalist Christmas. And, you know, with the holidays quickly approaching, we can often find ourselves uh, just wondering where all of our time and money is running off to, right? Like uh, Christmas parties year in school events for the kids, the cost of decorating, gifts for family members, the list could go on. But Meg wants to shift your mindset by walking you through some of the tenets of minimalism in her book. And she's going to give us some strategies here to help us to resist the clever marketing and the, the cultural expectations that the season often brings. So, Meg Nordman,
0: thank you for joining us today on the podcast.
3: Thank you, Matt and Joel. I'm really grateful to be here talking with you today.
0: Well, we're glad to have you, Meg, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And and I do think, especially in uh, the, the culture we find ourselves in, this conversation is an important one, hopefully helpful for the How to Money audience. Uh, but before we get into all that stuff, I want to ask you, uh, Matt and I, we like to drink a beer. We're drinking a beer right now as we speak, and it's something that we spend... I would say a lot of money on while we're trying to save and invest well for the future. So yeah, what's that in your life? Do you have a craft beer equivalent, something you find yourself spending (laughs) more money on than most people would think is reasonable?
3: Yes, I definitely do. I'm 34 and have seen the effects of all the sun in Florida. And so I have been splurging way too much on skincare products. Oh, and okay. at the same time, I'm hoarding swimsuits. I've gotten pretty minimalist in all aspects except for the swimsuit department. So okay. I'm just out in the sun in these swimsuits and then, you know, getting all these UV rays and, <laughs> and then covering myself in maybe serums. Maybe you should invest in
1: hats as <laughs> <Yeah>. well. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll, well, maybe we'll get to this later on in the episode too, but you actually live in Florida, like on an island. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Anastasia Island. So you yes, spend a Saint lot Augustine. of a lot of
1: time on the beach. It's not like you live in Nebraska and you just have like an infatuation with s- <laughs> swimwear. Or yeah, like yeah. That.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, the swimwear basically—that's that is my my clothes. Nice. So awesome. my husband's an avid surfer, and we're okay. a quick bike ride from the beach. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, it's it's a free thing. <laughs> we don't have to spend money. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. constantly entertained.
1: <laughs> that is awesome, especially having kids. I've always enjoyed the beach to a certain extent, but the ability to go to a beach and then just let the kids essentially just run wild, yeah. I now see the appeal of that, <laughs> of going to the beach once you have kids. It's like, oh, wow, you've never been you know a quarter mile away from me before, but you are, and I'm okay with that, because yeah. the beach, it's a good place to be.
3: I love to let them have that space, because they do. They yes. just run. Like they're yeah, little toddlers, yeah. little kids, and they just run and run and run, and they feel like they're so far away. But I mean, it's just a wide open space. We can see them. We can go jog for them if we need to. But (laughs) it is nice to kind of like let them off the leash in a sense, you know? Yeah. Go go have fun. Exactly.
1: I love that. All right. So, Meg, let's talk about minimalism in general. Kind of like what set you down that path in the first place?
3: Yeah, so I used to be, uh, I guess you could say, like borderline hoarder. I was, you know, not hoarder to the level of being on a TV show with the dead rats in my house or anything. That's good. But uh, (laughs) I've now realized that my parents are a bit of hoarders. And so I just, I never saw anyone declutter anything in my life. And so I never did. I moved from apartment to apartment, from state to state, and just kept boxing up all this stuff and never let go of anything. And at some point, uh, my boyfriend moved in with me. And we we have a long tangled love story. We had a (laughs) few years break there. And in that break, he'd been surfing around the globe and became a minimalist in the sense that he just had a backpack and a surfboard and hitchhiked from country to country to find good surf. And so he came back and moved in with me and just had like nothing, you know, he's like five t-shirts and two board shorts and a surfboard and a guitar, you know,
0: live <laughs>
2: light.
3: Like, yeah. And, uh, and then he had to move into my place where I'd never let go of anything since I was a child. So that was probably a shock to his system. And so he kind of just led by example, both in like the financial independence route and wanting to be debt free, it like never even occurred to me that I could be debt free or financially independent, or not have so much stuff. So I really give a lot of credit to him for leading the way there. So um, I had a shopaholic problem with clothes and shoes in particular. So I was briefly out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, doing digital marketing for tech startups. And we moved to Florida after we got debt free. And I found Marie Kondo's book, The Magical Art of Tidying Up, and read about decluttering for the first time in my life. <laughs> that, that sounds so silly to say that that was a light bulb moment for me of like, oh, I don't have to keep everything. <laughs> and you know in, in her classic uh, does it spark joy question and, and so I let go. Of, of things. And it felt like a lot, but I did not become a minimalist overnight hmm. at all. Um, but I felt like because it was my first time letting go of things, it felt like a lot of things were let go. But my God, we had my SUV packed. We had a huge trailer just loaded up. It wasn't enough. We had to get a U-Haul truck and get his mother-in-law to drive behind us. And I still literally left things on the sidewalk. Because I couldn't cram it in. That's hmm. and and you know that was like ninety nine percent my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we moved into a little seven hundred square foot place here on the beach, and couldn't fit it in. I had you know probably two thousand square feet worth of stuff, and um, so I had to declutter a little further. And then we were living in chaos because I still had it crammed, and we had a kid right away. I was like eight months pregnant when we moved. And once they start walking, the toys start moving and they scatter and they get everywhere and there's no way to contain it. So it just was bonkers. And I was spending my life in this like bent over position of just picking up and picking up and picking up. And all I was doing was massive loads of laundry. The couch was just this mountain, this never ending mountain to sift through of clothes. You couldn't sit on it. The dishes were always piled up. And so there was finally this light bulb moment as, as I was Relearning new shopping habits because we had this goal to hit financial independence at a pretty quick rate. So I had to stop buying so much stuff in the first place. And then that realization of if I just have less stuff, then I have less things to clean, which means I have more time. Mm. And that was really all I craved. You know, the whole Mm. point of financial independence was time. But I also needed to let go of the stuff because I wanted to be present with my kid, not cleaning up all day. I wanted to play with her yes. and I wanted to write. I've been wanting to write books forever, but I didn't have time to sit down and write and I want to make art and I want to make music. And so once I finally had that real light bulb moment and figured out that asking, does it spark joy? is like barely scratches the surface of what you need to be asking when you let go of things. Um, And finding those deeper questions and really kind of digging into my own psychology of why I was clutching to so many things, I was able to let go. And they all just kind of work in tandem, like the the ability to save money and the ability to let go items. It just really worked together for me, like everything clicked all at the same time. And so we definitely became a minimalist household. You know, we've got like two bowls for adults and two kid bowls and six spoons, wow. you know, and, and yeah, that's hardcore. one water glass for everyone. Now, I do have enough to sit about six people if I needed to, if we happen to have family over or guests, it's just kind of a rare event for us. And all that's tucked away at a, in a cabinet that's kind of high up and hard to reach. But, you know, I, I can't possibly have an overflowing kitchen when all we have is four bowls and four yeah. cups you know like <laughs> i don't need to run the dishwasher anymore <laughs>
4: right and
3: so you know of course i, pl- I applied that to clothes and um really kind of capsule wardrobe everyone and that was a big deal for me um as you know from my description i used to need like two walk-in closets for my clothes and now I can see everything within like a small, you know, when you just open up a closet door, that little window frame, that's it. That's all I have hanging. And my husband and I share a small Chester drawers together. So we each have like two drawers for ourselves. And um, it's just huge, huge, huge improvement. And so, you know, there's no way I could fill up our couch full of clothes now. So I gained my time back and I was able to join an orchestra and make music again and make art awesome. and write a book. <laughs> and we go and hang out on the beach all the time. And so we were able to achieve our goals. My husband retired early this past April, you know, cut our spending down to like $27,000 a year. It worked. But my problem was even despite really seeing all this Im- improvement with our budget and the improvement. With decluttering the rest of the house, Christmas was a big problem for me. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, well, let's. I want to camp out for one second on minimalism, Meg. You said, that what began as like this forced purge kind of turned into a choice, and it led to this like simplified lifestyle, which sounds like it's been awesome for you for your family. Um, I just want to know, like, you know, before we get into the Christmas stuff, what tips do you have for our listeners who are who are saying, okay? Meg just said that sparking joy, that didn't go far enough. You had to confront like some deeper demons and it was more than just like tossing things out or, and giving them to goodwill. Uh, Like, how would you suggest people begin this process of minimalism if they're kind of like just now getting whapped in the face with the potential idea that they, that they should even consider it?
3: Yeah. I know one tip I would suggest that was a kind of a mind hack that helped me was to look at things and say, well, what is my favorite? Because when I went through my closet, I had, I'm, I'm not kidding, probably 50 little black dresses, like perfect, fit me well, gorgeous little black cocktail dresses that I would love to wear. But here I am in this new season of life. I don't go to events. I don't, have a corporate job. <laughs> you know, I'm a mother and we're lucky if we go on two or three real date nights, you know, like going out to get cocktails a year. So why do I have 50 of them? But you know, putting my fingers on them to go through the decluttering process and asking, does this spark joy? Yes, it does. This dress. It makes me excited.
0: I, I, it makes me want to go out and do that thing, even if I'm not doing that thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, it's and not you know, that you, you dislike this dress, it's just yeah. that you like <laughs> all of them, but you don't need all of them.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: And, and I'm,
3: you know, we have all these ways we can rationalize it of, well, this one is great for a slightly more conservative one, and this one costs $400. But I go through when I say, okay. I only get two date nights a year. What is that very first little black dress that I'm going to reach for that I know will apply to all situations that will always make me feel good, that will always look great on me? Which one is that going to be? Most people could do this. You know which dress or outfit, you know, for you might be a shirt, but uh, you, know, you know which one that is. So okay, that one stays. And then all the rest of those, even though they all spark joy and I find them all beautiful, it doesn't matter. I need to let it go. And so I had to do that to a lot of things.
1: I mean, it's permeated through all aspects of your life. And so you're seeing the benefits of minimalism across the board. But you mentioned how it's, you know, like Christmas in particular, it's still a problem for a lot of folks. And I think we can all find ourselves, you know, in that whirlwind of holiday gift giving. And it's essentially become a part of our culture, you know, like it's just ingrained in us, it's ingrained in the lives that we live. And so can you talk us through the evolution of Christmas and consumerism just becoming more and more entwined?
3: Yeah. So my child's first birthday, I mean, not birthday. Well, that one too, probably, but her first Christmas, you know, Santa gave her everything a child could need for the first five years of their life. I mean, I just went overboard. I was just so excited because as a parent, you get this role or I feel that I had this role that I needed to create magic. You know, I'm the magic maker. And I remembered you know, Christmas morning feeling magical as a kid. So I was very excited about this role and I just went overboard. You know, I got the, the little stroller pram for the baby doll and I got the toy kitchen and I got the rocking horse. And I mean, just everything. I mean, the picture of Christmas morning Mm -hmm. was just ridiculous. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was very proud of it in the moment, but, um, there was like nothing left to buy my kid for the future years, <laughs> and um, there was no budget set. There was no discussion about budget. Um, I just just went ape with it. I had that moment after Christmas when I kind of realized what I'd done, like just how out of control I'd gotten and how much money I'd spent. And then wanting to declutter almost everything I just bought. <laughs> Of like, oh, wow, I just destroyed all of my efforts here to keep things reined in. I just went.
0: That, that so, toy that created like 15 minutes of joy on Christmas morning is now you're like stubbing your toe on it as exactly. you're walking through the and house. Like,
3: oh, I can see now I'm just going to be picking up all these little loose parts over and over and over again and trying to keep them in the basket and they will never stay in the basket. <laughs> so, um, you know, over that next year of like kind of seeing how much wreckage I had done, also, I, I, in my journey to minimalism, I joined a lot of Facebook groups, you know, for support and tips and everything. And I started noticing after I came to grips with my own problem with wrecking myself, uh, Chris, and it wasn't just me, it was... Also the the grandparents and the aunts and the friends. I mean, I did it and they did it too. You know, (laughs) like it was just ridiculous. So seeing all these questions of like, well, how do I ask my mother-in-law to stop bringing in a truckload of gifts? Or how do I now go from going overboard every Christmas and creating this epic, you know, amount of gifts under the tree to a more minimalist approach of just like four or five gifts Are my kids going to feel deprived? How are they going to deal with that big switch? And so everyone's asking these same questions year after year. And I'm noticing that in all of the groups. And that's when it occurred to me now that I've consumed like 25 books on minimalism and audiobooks and podcasts and stuff. I'm like, oh, no one's addressed how even as a practicing minimalist, we're still falling into this consumerist trap during the holidays Mm. the marketing still gets to us too we're not impermeable
0: to it well hey we've got a bunch more questions meg to get to including how we actually don't turn off (laughs) maybe that minimalism dial what it looks like to have a christmas that is less influenced by consumerism so we'll get to some more questions about that with you right after this break
1: you probably think it's too soon to join aarp right
0: AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So, it's safe to say, it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help
1: your money, your health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend.
0: dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money
1: joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm-hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the
0: perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, oh, man, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough.
1: Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you.
1: Back from the break, and we're talking with Meg Norman about having a minimalist Christmas and and Meg, you know before the break, you're talking about your personal history <laughs> with how you kind of fell into the trap of uh, consuming more around the holidays. Can you talk some about the history of just consumerism and commercialism and and the the waters that we find ourselves swimming in?
3: Yeah, absolutely. so this was a big help for me. So after that first year of just going off the deep end. The next year, I felt it creeping up again. And I don't know what it was, but I ended up Googling, you know, the history of Santa. Because I was like, what is it with this Santa? Like, I'm playing Santa, and I feel like I need to bring in the whole sleigh full of of toys. Um, Why? Like, what is Santa's deal? Because it's almost like treated like a religion in itself, you know? (laughs) And we all play into this narrative, this story, as I... whole society. We all do it together. And so, you know, I get on there and read about the history and it relieved so much pressure from me just Mm. to understand this. And I was able to, I, I don't completely opt out of it. But I've taken 25 steps backwards out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, like
0: Homer, uh, backing up into the bushes kind of thing when it comes to the way you approach to Santa. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, to give you a quick rundown, you know, you have St. Nicholas. He's born in 280 AD. He's a monk that gave away a lot of his wealth um, to the poor and the needy. And he reappears in modern history in the US anyway. In 1773, because there were some Dutch immigrants, and they were just honoring the anniversary of his death. And for whatever reason, a New York newspaper picks that up and runs a story on it. And suddenly, there's like a renewed interest in this guy, St. Nicholas. Hmm. And about you know 20 years later, in the 1800s, um, images of him in little wood cuttings start getting passed around of him slipping items into stockings. And then about 20 years later, the stores catch on to these woodcuts being passed around among families, and they start advertising around that and somehow work him into Christmas shopping. So we're talking 1820s. That's very recent history, you know? Mm. And so 20 years later, St. Nicholas starts morphing into Santa and that poem was the night before christmas it was uh, written by a, like a preacher and he felt very embarrassed by it he just did it for his nieces just for fun and then it got published and he felt like oh my gosh i can't believe it oh, no what... <laughs> yeah, he was really embarrassed by it and um, because it wasn't necessarily a religious text yeah. it was just a <laughs> mythic... like, yeah, he just dreamed yeah. yeah he just <laughs> dreamed up this image of who this random santa guy is that had just hmm. started to kind of catch wind in newspapers and shopping and advertising and so he really shaped it with that poem. And then the malls started offering live Santas and Macy's, you know, was the first one and they have their Thanksgiving parade that starts um, in like the 1920s. And they have their Santa in the back for the first time. And so Coca-Cola in 1930s, 10 years later, catches wind of this. And so they start adding Santa to their advertising. So whoever the the illustrator was for their advertising department really fine-tuned what he's supposed to look like to us now. So yay, Coca-Cola kind of created our jolly red Santa. This kind of stuff like really helped me go, oh my gosh, this is, and it continues. So just to give a really quick rundown, the songs that hit the charts in 1934 were Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And that starts this whole narrative around the good list you know, the good and the naughty. And then 1939 is Rudolph. 1950 is frosty. And 2005 is elf on the shelf. And so I'm kind of seeing this, like this very recent history timeline of like how we created this story and how it was mostly created for malls and products, big corporations to have like another way to make more sales in the winter time. And, that relieved some of that pressure to create this magic, okay. you know, it, it's going to be magical no matter what. So I didn't feel that impulse to buy so much of like, oh my gosh, this thing is, it's not real. It's not a religion it's, I don't have to participate in this so much. So what it did for me was I don't ask my kids, what do you want for Christmas as much? Because I did that in the beginning, you know, what do you want? What do you want? Here's the catalog. You're almost goading them.
0: You know, <laughs> you know? like, and yeah. It's a terrible, terrible, like, approach, having that continual conversation about what they're looking to get for, for Christmas. How, how have you changed that conversational dynamic?
3: Yeah, so if you go and meet Santa, don't go sit on his knee and tell Santa what you want. Like, that's just one of those small things that, like, adds to it because all we're asking kids is, what do you want? Like, I just got an Amazon catalog in the mail with toys that has one whole page is just stickers that say I want this this oh one this one is my favorite you know it's got little arrows and circles and stuff and i'm like wow we're we're literally handing these to children and saying have at it tell me everything you want and that is the message instead of hey this is a beautiful time of year. I love this season. Let's go enjoy the snow. Let's go and look at the lights. Let's drink warm drinks together. You know, like that coziness, like let's look at the twinkle lights and decorate the tree together, like that togetherness and that peace and the joy that we sing about in our carols. But instead we've kind of shifted it all to what the corporations wanted us to ask was, what do you want? You know? So I'm just... Careful not to talk about toys. They will get toys. It will feel magical and exciting. But I, I don't make all of November and December about asking that question. So, so anyway, so what the, are
0: your strategies then when it comes to gift giving? Because as a minimalist, it can be easy uh, to <laughs> to be like no gifts at all, right? Like the the soup Nazi. But for Christmas gifts, maybe <laughs> um, <laughs> nothing and for you. So, <laughs> and so yeah, what like what what would you recommend to folks who are saying? Yes, you're right. Okay, I get it. I see the connection between Christmas and consumerism, and I want to make sure that our household is, isn't overdoing it and that my kids aren't becoming like, I want this, I want that machines, which it's so easy to get to this time of year. Like, how do you decide how many gift, gifts you're going to give? Like, what sort of strategies have you implemented?
3: Yeah, so, you know, first of all, would be budget. Don't be like me on my first. Christmas as a parent and uh, not have one. (laughs) So uh, we have a pretty low one now. A hundred bucks for event tickets and 200 bucks for both kids combined. And I... I get plenty of things just with that amount. And then I also kind of loosely do the four gift rule. Um, You know, there's a catchy poem that a lot of minimalists ascribe to, and it's uh, something you want, something you need, something to wear, something to read. And I do like that. Like if you set that up with your kids, that's the expectation, you know, Mm -hmm. like now you do get to pick one thing that you want, you know, and then your parents probably know best of the thing that you need and then, you know, you get to your nice new warm clothes and here's some classic books for you to read. And so there's these parameters around it. And you know, that's stuff that's not necessarily going to need to be decluttered. Now, I haven't quite yet started reciting that poem to my kids. They're still young, and, but I probably will shift to it when they get a little bit older. If They need some parameters around it. Right now, I just kind of keep an, an ear out to what is that one thing that they want. And I try to keep it down to about four to five items and I am really mindful and intentional about it. Because I'm just trying to imagine, will I want to declutter this in a month? Like that is kind of a big question I ask myself a lot for birthday presents and Christmas presents of will this stick around? Uh, What is Mm. the length on this? What's the duration
0: that that gift is going to be shelf life. Yeah, Yeah. the shelf life. Because I And how many parts I would think too, right?
1: Like a Nerf gun with like 100 bullet things (laughs) in it. I don't know, you probably don't want that. I mean, when it comes to our money, I mean, that's oftentimes what we should be thinking about. We're not only thinking about the feeling that it's going to give us right now what we spend. That is certainly something we need to take into account. But we also are l- thinking about those longer term goals and thinking through the impact of those items on your role as a parent. Like that is something you definitely need to think through. How many of these little pieces am I going to have to pick up? Mm-hmm. How long will this actually entertain them? And so I like that four gift rule though. So it's something you want, something you need, something you wear, and then something you, rea- read. you read. Okay. Yeah. So a book. Okay. I, I think about that when I think about the fact that like you've heard of the, the different love languages. I think there's five of them. Yeah. yeah. But like gift giving, that is an actual love language. And and so I think, well, how do you square that with the fact that there are some folks out there who really like receiving gifts, but at the same time, if you're trying to be minimal, you're at odds with that <laughs> with that behavior. And I feel like quality over quantity could be just a a good principle to keep in mind if you have somebody like that in your life. Is that right?
3: Oh, yes, I definitely do. I have several love language people in my life. And um, it is kind of funny to be the author of this book and like pass it to them. And And I talk about um, the love languages and how some people truly do identify with that of gift giving is their love language. If anyone um, listens to The Minimalists, they will argue this point that there is not a fifth love language, that gift-giving cannot be a love language because love is not transactional. And I do like that, but, man, some people really do feel this way, and you can't Hmm. reprogram them. So some of the things that I've learned to help with this is, one, to drop hints. So in conversation, you don't even have to use fancy words like minimalism or decluttering. It kind of scares these people. But uh, just to kind of mention, like, I just did this the other day um, with one of them and said, you know, I just went through the kids' clothes and I wanted to make, you know, see how many winter clothes they had and make sure they had everything they needed for the winter. And they are set. They have plenty, they have more than enough, and we're good for the winter because i know this particular person loves to give an over abundance of clothes <laughs> which is a very you know generous wonderful blessed thing to to have in your life but it it is um to a level that actually makes my life feel overwhelming <laughs> and chaotic so just dropping hints is a good way and i have a couple of scripts in my book where i kind of show examples of what these conversations look like and how it can kind of organically flow to let them catch your drift. But in case they don't, maybe you need to set some limits with your family. So we've done this a few times with our extended family and it's great. So, and it changes every year for some reason, you, some, you'd think something would stick, but, uh, sometimes it can look like a financial limit. (laughs) So you can say, okay, we're not spending over $25 per person or $50 or a hundred dollars per person, whatever feels right for your family. Or it is just one item per person within the family. Or Mm -hmm. maybe it's, um, we did this one year, we're just exchanging books. Everybody pick a book. uh, You know, it can be fiction or nonfiction. And that is all we're giving to one another. Nice. And yeah, that was a really good year. Or I've seen other people do, okay, only the grandkids and no adults, but whatever those parameters are, just get a conversation going with your family to start setting some kind of guidelines and limits. And you'll probably find that they'll be relieved for that too. Because otherwise they're like, Oh my gosh, I need to get three things for everybody that, you know, (laughs) on the entire family list.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they have them rail things up too. And you're maybe like that pressure release valve by starting that conversation that says, Hey, you don't have to live up to these fake expectations that nobody actually has of you that the movies make it seem like you need to live up to. Exactly. So, so Meg, what do you do like in the middle of a Christmas celebration or a holiday celebration when like <laughs> there, there's like a – an expectation that isn't met or maybe someone supersedes the kind of rules that have been laid out uh, or in a grandparent like goes overboard you're being so nice Jill. you say supersede but what you really mean is they broke the rule yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they
1: broke the ground rules yeah yeah or,
0: or if just like maybe you maybe this year it was too late and you didn't establish any ground rules and you're like man they just overdid it like how how do you like get over having a sourpuss look on your face um, <laughs> because you know what all these additional toys or all this additional stuff means For your life, and it's not something that you're looking to, like how how do you navigate those kind of relational waters?
3: Yeah, I see that a lot within the minimalist groups where people feel like, almost like the person did it on purpose. Like they project that onto them of that. It was mm. vicious and that they were undermining all of their work. <laughs> and I tell them we were minimalists. I told them not to get us anything and they did it anyway. They're sabotaging me, you know? <laughs> um, but I have like a whole chapter talking about that. You just cannot take this attitude with it. No one is trying to sabotage you. It really is that, you know, love language for them. They, they, feel this way they're not seeing your wish lists or going by your parameters and your guidelines and you just have to smile and give that hug and say thank you and say I love you because that is actually all these people are looking for mm. they're looking for yeah. for that validation of love and use your manners and but don't let it get past the living room <laughs> you know, (laughs) I'm serious. You are the person in control. And you just have to constantly know that that you are in control of what goes in your house. You have to be a ruthless editor and curator of your house. So literally,
1: don't let those items leave the living room is what you're saying. I thought you're talking about like the emotions, but you're talking about the actual objects. (laughs) No,
3: I'm talking about the objects. Okay. um, (laughs) Because I, I, you know, I I freaking published a book on this and I still have (laughs) these people giving me way 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 too much uh right. giving our family and our kids and it's wonderful and but you know i get to say even though this person gave me a sweater and as a gift the sweater mm. does not have to go in my closet you say goodbye you know merry christmas they go in their way and you just immediately start making decisions you know that's when you go to your closet and say okay is this new sweater going to replace an old one that's getting too worn out if so, pull that other one out right now. Don't mm. don't add add two in there. You know? <laughs> yeah. it, and no, it sounds so horrible and sad to say out loud, but man, there are so many things that I don't let get past the living room, and go straight into a box into the trunk and get donated to a fabulous thrift shop we have here in town that helps women with domestic abuse um, yeah. escape that. And and I find some place like that that resonates and makes you feel good, so that. You're, you can let go. Because I know a lot of people do have a problem with saying this was a gift and therefore I have to keep it. You know, right. I used to be that way. I kept every gift ever given to me.
1: <laughs> yeah. What's crazy is that at the end of a day of exchanging of gifts like that, I mean, to be honest, that's probably the last thing that most folks want to do, right? I mean, they just take the item, folks leave if, you know, they're leaving the house. And so it's going to take that extra little push like you said, to make that decision, because it's honestly probably going to be the easiest time to make that decision before it ends up sitting in your drawer for weeks or months. Or years. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) oh years, yeah. So Meg, you've talked about how it is that we can go about buying fewer gifts. You've talked about how we can communicate with family or friends to maybe buy fewer items for us. We're going to talk next about ways that we can go about seeking after a minimalist Christmas at home. And also just how we go about doing that with our time, with our calendars. And we'll get to both of those right after this break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right?
0: AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So, it's safe
1: to say, it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend.
0: Dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money
1: joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm-hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest
0: part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Oh, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough.
1: Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you.
0: back from the break still talking with meg norman about having a minimalist christmas and meg that was just a lot of useful information when it comes to navigating the holidays with your kids with your parents like for yourself uh, but i want to i want to ask you too like how does a minimalist decorate for christmas because when it comes to putting up lights or uh, i'm guessing you don't have any like uh, christmas blow-up decorations in your front yard like how do you handle the decorating
3: yes we don't have any blow-up uh <laughs> decorations in the yard but in my life in this chapter it just doesn't work for me and um it did come down to this realization of i my house is a container you know <laughs> and i only have so much square footage that i can live in and why is my entire i only have two tiny closets why is one entire closet basically devoted to christmas items that come out for a whopping three or four weeks of the year, you know? So um, how much have
0: you downsized then? What do you put up?
3: Oh, so we do a small tree. And I just have, I to help me with the ornament decluttering, I just do red and gold and little clear icicles. So like so coming up... Very-
0: very yeah, classy. <laughs> yeah.
3: But coming up with some kind of color scheme, like some kind of parameter again of like, this is mm, our yeah, color rules. scheme. Yeah. And so it really helped me anyway. It helped me to let go of, because I have probably had every trend that has come through over the past 20 years. Because, you know, one year, everyone's doing pink Christmas, you know. and like, So I go to Hobby Lobby and do all, you know, now it's peppermint Christmas. We're all doing candy canes <laughs> and peppermint stuff. You know, I like really You skipped did. over burlap. Yeah the, <laughs> yeah, the burlap Christmas. <laughs> I, had, about that the burlap year.
1: That was I had that too. I definitely had that. Yeah. Well, Meg, <laughs> but, let's um... talk about time as well, because I wanted to touch on this because last year, right, because of COVID, like most of our calendars mm-hmm. were, you know, sparsely populated, like especially around the holidays. So like cultivating that manageable pace, it wasn't something we had to work towards. But now that's actually changed, you know, as many are getting back to normal life. And so how do we keep from overwhelming ourselves around the holidays with just all the different events?
3: Exactly. I actually just did this, um, 30 minutes before our call. I got out my calendar. I did. Yeah. And, um, I talk about in my book, I talk about hard plans and loose plans because again, I go back to that like first Christmas or two where, um, I drug my family around to probably 45 Christmas events in the span of November and December. We live in a uh, very arts and cultural kind of place. So there's probably three holiday events for every year on the calendar that you could go to that are all awesome. You know, and I was just like, Oh my gosh, we have to do this. And now we have to go to the farmer's market because they have this. And my poor husband was just miserable. I mean, truly miserable. And I remember at one point, we were in the freezing cold um, watching the sailboat parade because, oh my gosh, we live on the beach. We have to do this, you, you know? we to the sailboat parade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he had a, um, a work Christmas party that was more important at the time because he was going to work and we needed to show face and look good for the managers or whatever. But I was like, no, this is going to be a family tradition. So we were like, Fighting traffic to do this. Everyone's cold and miserable, and we don't even get to see the whole thing because now we have to leave and go to that. And it made the ride to the Christmas party stressful, and we're late for the party. Horrible. And so, if you can imagine, it kind of felt like that, like the whole time. And it was just this chaos and overwhelm. Again, when I had all these realizations of, like, oh my gosh, I need to edit my calendar the same way I'm editing my house. So, just now I got out my calendar. And I found my hard plans. My hard plans for me are the Nutcracker Ballet, the symphony, which I'm in. (laughs) You've got
1: to go there. (laughs) Can't skip out on that.
3: (laughs) And um, I like to go to the Christmas parade. This one particular one And then there was one other thing. What was it? Oh, the meeting Santa on the beach. That's a cool thing. So these are hard plans because they happen one time and it has a ticket attached to it or a time slot attached to it. And so everything has to work around it. So I put those in pen on my calendar and then I write out my loose plans. So that's more like the traditions that I would like ideally like to be able to fit in. That would be like, a a night where we bake cookies and do gingerbread man and sprinkles and stuff. And maybe watching Charlie Brown Christmas would be one, or actually doing hot cocoa with real marshmallows on top. These kind of cozy traditions that I would like to cultivate in my family, but they don't need a hard time to them. And what I'm what I'm trying to do is not cram everything into that last week so that nothing can be enjoyed. So that way I get my hard plans down, I can figure out where the discrepancies are and where there's a particular Saturday where everything is crammed on that Saturday and like whittle it down again. Figuring that out now before (laughs) the madness, before tickets start to sell out and, and before people start inviting me to things. So that was another big problem. I had these things I wanted to go to, but then every day another mom friend would text and say, oh, so they're doing like pet the ponies in elf costumes today, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. You know, and next thing you know, that I'm That sounds saying, amazing. <laughs> but, you know, now we're exhausted when we can't make it to the Nutcracker Ballet because I went mm. and pet ponies in elf costumes. So, you know, I'm just making that up. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But you know, I, had, I have a whole chapter in there about how to say no gracefully because that's a really hard thing for people. And so- Editing that calendar right now and saying, this is what we're doing. Only these five things. These are the five loose things I would like to slowly work in, not cram into the last week. And that's it. Now I can politely decline and say no to the 25 invitations that I get on Facebook in the next two months.
0: Yeah. Meg, Meg, I love that. I love that we can... You know, be more intentional with our time during the holidays and uh, as well as with our gift giving and just kind of the barrage of consumerism that hits us in the face. And we kind of just usually resort to the traditions of our families or what we've kind of gotten accustomed to doing. Uh, if we have our own families now, and we need to rethink those things because it can lead to. One, a less less of a busted budget because so many people wake up in January and they're like, (laughs) oh they get the credit card bill and they're like, dang it, I didn't realize it went that far off the rails. And so yeah, I think there's a a lot of good food for thought in this conversation. We really appreciate you joining us. Where can our listeners find out more about you?
3: Sure. Um you can find me at Meg Nordman. That's Nordman with two N's on the end, uh anywhere online. MegNordman.com, Meg Nordman on Twitter, Instagram. I just love to talk about financial independence and freedom from consumerism and cultural norms. And uh, around the holidays, I focus more on, on this, on how to simplify during the holidays. But, um, and you can find my book on Amazon and through my website.
1: That's right. Well, and of course, this is why we wanted to have you on the show, because we are all about these things as well, Meg. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks again.
3: Thank you so much, Matt and Joel.
1: All right, Joel, that was a uh, great conversation we just had with Meg Norman. Uh, we talked about her book, Have, Your- Have Yourself a Minimalist Christmas. You're the we next, didn't talk about that. You're the next being Crosby, buddy. The, <laughs> the fact that sh- uh, minimalist has the same syllables as merry little or something like that. How does yeah. the song go out? I don't know. It, sound, it sounds the same. It <laughs> you know what great. I'm talking about. Uh, that was a, a smart move on her part. To, and everyone demands <laughs> more singing from you on the show. I think not. But I think Meg was able to share a lot of great
0: takeaways from her book about having a minimalist Christmas what was yours okay so I'll say there were a lot of good things and I thought a lot of the good Christmas specific things were really helpful but I thought when you take a step back one of the coolest things that she mentioned was that minimalism is more than just getting rid of stuff that like decluttering is going to impact you in all these other ways so it's it's like you find that as you start to purge your house of a bunch of items, you're kind of dealing with like some psychological, some like mental stuff at the same time, some yeah. heart issues. And I thought that was like uh, inspiring. And it's good to know that it's not just throwing stuff in a bin and donating it to Goodwill. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> While you're doing this, you're, tr- you want to become a person who is less attached to things, who is less consumeristic. And, I think you, you made a good point earlier in in, our, in the conversation with her that it's kind of the water we swim in, that David Foster Wallace style, uh, you know, water that we swim in. And it's true. It's it's hard. You you have to be like incredibly purposeful and intentional to, to kind of not float the mainstream and go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. But I think doing so is going to be a benefit, not to just like the amount of clutter that's in your house, but the kind of person you're becoming. The
1: kind of person you're becoming and the amount of money that you have at the end of the day as well. Well, yeah. and she talked about Marie Kondo and how okay, the question that she, you know she always has in her show and her book does this spark joy? And Meg talked about how. Well, shoot, I've got a lot of things that spark joy in my life. And so oftentimes what it comes down to is determining what your parameters are going to be that are going to dictate your future decisions. Yeah. Right. And this specifically came out when she was talking about like decorating. She's like, OK, it's got to be gold or red. Right. <laughs> when it comes to the holidays, because that's how she was like, that's how I'm going to decorate my house. And she talked about it as well when it comes to her calendar. You know, uh, she had like these hard plans, things that she wasn't going to be flexible on but I think it comes down to essentially creating rules and determining how many events am I willing to take on per week and how many events am I gonna have even in one day and sticking with those rules because when we purge things from our lives, that's kind of look, taking a, a reflective look on things that we've almost already done, right? Like these are things that have happened in the past and we do need to do those things to kind of get us up to speed where we currently are. But then moving forward, how do we keep ourselves from having to have these big purges where we have mm-hmm. to spend all day looking back and determining what it is we're going to keep, what it is we're going to get rid of? Well, it's rules, it's parameters, it's having this filter that you run all of your decisions through. It's like this little decision ma- making matrix that you've created <laughs> in your own head and that's going to determine what it is that you. You keep around. I feel like the example that she gave about receiving like that sweater and immediately making the decision: is this a keeper or is this is this a goner? And it's only a keeper if it's replacing another exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. f- like, I thought that was brilliant because oftentimes what we do is like, okay, I'm going to say that for later, and we end up. Washing it or putting it in the closet, which doesn't need anything else to go into the closet,
0: and yeah. then it starts getting more hard to navigate. And if you but don't have the rules, rules, If you don't have the rules, every decision becomes harder because you have to figure yeah. it out on a case by case basis. Yes, exactly. And, and when you have yep. rules, it informs pretty immediately. You say, "Well, obviously this is the rule I live by, <laughs> and so I'm not going to violate that." And and you're right. Like I'm, I appreciate you saying that because I am. Like the opposite of a rules person, you're really? like an outback steakhouse. Very much, no rules, <laughs> just right is my motto. And and so, but I need more of those rules in my life to because I do get overwhelmed sometimes by the amount of choice. And I like choice. I like options. And I like novelty. And I am not a minimalist. I will I will openly confess. Uh, but it, this episode talking with Meg does make me want to incorporate more of those principles in my life even if becoming uh, you know one of the super minimalist people is not really um, doesn't sound appealing to me.
1: yeah, you can still use some of those same principles just to inform your living and the decisions that you make so yep. that you just have a, a happier life. And again, obviously this is how to money and so we want you to implement these rules as well because we think that they can help you to save more of your money. Yeah, did you, did you hear about
0: Meg's budget for Christmas? It yeah. was like what 200 bucks for gifts and she says I stick I stick to that and it was what hundred bucks for per kid. Yeah, 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 per kid, and so th- those are the kind of rules too. That's another rule, and that rule helps you save money. Yeah, and of course, that's that's ultimately what we want for you. Exactly. And when it came to her plans, you know, she was talking about how those
1: were hard plans, but I feel like that those would be hard. Guidelines that determine how she spends her money when it comes to gifts. But yeah, I think there's a lot here that you can take from this conversation and apply it to your life and think about how it is that you can weave some of these takeaways into your own life. But uh, Joe, let's mention the beer that you and I enjoyed on this episode. This was a fantastic beer, by the way. Let the cart get ahead of the horse a little bit. Let me share the name of this beer, which was called Empire of Eternal Nothingness. <laughs> Which is a a beer by Burial out of Asheville, North Carolina, and maybe a metaphor for Christmas spending. Hey, maybe so, man. This was, uh, yeah, a really big,
0: flavorful stout. What were your thoughts on it? Um, I loved it. I really, truly loved it. It had some great chocolate vibes coming through some of those dark chocolate notes mm-hmm. but at the same time it was like it was just really really dark and beastly i mean this was a mammoth stout and i like a big stout it's not uh, and especially as we're getting into these colder months i'm it's, like that's perfect bring on all the big stouts so this one is was just delicious and burial i don't think i've had a bad beer from them yet yep. uh, and they just seem to knock it out of the park every time
1: yeah, so it definitely had some of those coconut notes going on. And I still think that we might have a few more Almond Joys laying around the house from Halloween, <laughs> as far as the Halloween candy. But it totally had some of those chocolatey, coconutty mm. vibes going on in this beer. Uh, it said it was like double dipped, like <laughs> which makes me just picture... Like, the candy uh, bar getting made, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just like I don't know, double the flavor, but uh, as well as bourbon vanilla in this beer as well, and you could totally taste those warming notes yep. that you would get from just kind of a nice pour of bourbon neat, where it's just kind of nice and warming. Those are also the kind of flavors that you you want out of a massive stout like this. I'm glad you and I got to share this one today on the show. Seriously, we'd recommend any of Burial's beers, but especially some of these crazy off-the-wall stouts. Uh, But Joel, that's going to be it for this episode. Listeners can find our show notes up on our website at
0: howtomoney.com, and we'll make sure to link to Meg's site uh, as well as her book. That's right. Some good tips in there for making sure your Christmas is just a little more minimalist than it was in years past. But that'll do it for this one. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out.